This morning's sermon is of course going to be about the crucifixion of Jesus. There will be two parts to this message. Initially we'll be considering why we believe Jesus really was crucified, that it was an actual historical event. And then we'll be considering why the crucifixion of Jesus is of paramount importance in the Christian faith. So let's get right into it. Why do we believe that a man named Jesus was crucified just outside Jerusalem in around 30 AD? What evidence is there to support this belief? And how are we to respond to those who say it's just a story, it's a myth, it's ahistorical? I think the evidence for believing that the crucifixion of Jesus really took place is overwhelming. Some of the evidence is complex and complicated, but it's beyond reasonable doubt. There have been some notable examples of people who've set out to prove that Jesus did not die on the cross and that Christianity is just a made-up story. And in the course of their investigations, they became convinced that it all really happened. I think of Frank Morrison, who wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone? And I think of the reporter from Chicago, Lee Strobel, who set out to disprove that Christianity was, was real when his wife became a Christian. He landed up writing the book, The Case for Christ. So why do we believe that Jesus really was crucified? My first reason is this. The crucifixion of Jesus was always front and center in the message the early Christians took to the world. The first Christians spoke a great deal about the death of Jesus. And we need to think about it in that context. Consider this, Jesus had developed a huge following in his three years of public ministry. He was popular long before his death on the cross. Thousands of people were followers of Jesus. Think of the crowds that were there when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Think of the time he fed the 5,000. People had missed meals and their work because they would have been listening to him all day. Before Jesus was crucified, he was really popular. He was popular because he spoke truth to power. He challenged the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. He had a message that very much appealed to the poor and the oppressed, and there were a lot of them. Jesus had a following, too, among the elite in society. He was regarded as being a rabbi sent by God, whom God was with, to quote Rabbi Nicodemus. And Jesus had a fantastic message. His message was that God was about to do something new. That God was going to bring about a new way of life, a new kingdom for all who would follow him. And the crowds loved that message. That God was going to establish his rule. That the ungodly Roman oppressors were going to be overthrown. 
Jesus was a popular figure across all segments of society, but especially among the masses. That's why the Pharisees wanted to kill him. They feared the power and the influence that Jesus had. They were jealous of him. He'd won the hearts of the people, whereas all they could do was lay down the law. So there was no need for Jesus to be crucified in order to gain a following or prove a point or have an impact. Jesus didn't need to become a martyr to become famous. He was well known. He was loved. He had a following. Just the week before his death, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds cheered for him. There was no need for Jesus to die to make a name for himself. One of the main persecutors of Christians in the first century was a Pharisee named Saul. Later, he was to write under the name that we know him, the Apostle Paul, a letter to the Corinthian church. And there in the first chapter, he writes this, Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. The early church was clear on one thing. Their message was all about the crucifixion of Jesus. Paul writes, we preach Christ crucified. Not we preach Christ and all Jesus said. No, when Paul has a chance to sum up the Christian message, the gospel, he puts it this way. We preach Christ crucified. And this is very significant. If you take away the crucifixion of Jesus, Christianity collapses. Interestingly, even in this verse, Paul is slightly apologetic. He concedes a few points. He says, yes, I know the Jews and others want to see miraculous signs. That's what they want to base their faith on. Because people are often wowed when they see something supernatural, something inexplicable. Paul says, I get that Jews demand miraculous signs. People even said on occasion to Jesus, do a miracle for us so that we can believe in you. Paul also acknowledges that Greeks look for wisdom. There are those who really love philosophy. They will only believe something if it makes rational sense, if it's logical, irrefutable, verifiable. Paul says, I get that. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. He adds, this is a stumbling block to Jews and it comes across as foolishness to Gentiles. Paul says he, he understands that the idea of a Messiah that's crucified is ridiculous to Jewish people. It is a stumbling block to them. He understands that. And he says of the Gentiles that he understands that the idea that somehow the crucifixion of someone could have value, he says he understands that that 
sounds foolish. But nevertheless, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. That is central to the message the church preached and preaches today. Even though Jesus has built up a following, even though he was a popular teacher and preacher, the early Christian community, the church, made their central message all about the fact that Jesus had been crucified. And we must remember too that Christianity started in the very place where Jesus had been crucified. Crucifixions were public events and Jesus' crucifixion happened at a time in Jerusalem when it was at its busiest, at the start of the Passover. Many people would have seen Jesus carrying his cross as he trudged through the city. Many would have witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus and the two others alongside him. And when Peter stands up to preach after an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we refer to as Pentecost, just a few weeks after Jesus' crucifixion, he says this, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 2 from verse 22. He writes, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. Peter's point is that the death of Jesus is not something that happened in secret. It was a public event, and even those in opposition to the early Christians who were listening that day, they didn't stand up and say, no, that's not true, or no, it was someone else who was crucified. They said, no, you people are drunk, but nobody disputed that Jesus had been crucified. Here are two other pieces of evidence that prove how important the crucifixion was in the minds of the early Christians. The early Christians practiced a new form of baptism, a different kind of baptism to that which had been practiced before. Baptism for these first Christians became a way for people to identify themselves with the death of Jesus. It's how people showed their allegiance to the Christian faith. They would symbolically identify themselves with Jesus' crucifixion. That's why in baptism you have to be pushed under the water and held there. It is a symbol of dying. Christian baptism is a way of identifying oneself with the death of Jesus on the cross. This is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So baptism was a symbol of 
dying with Christ on the cross. And that was the initiatory right into the Christian community. But there's something else that the first Christians did too that was new. They started to share a fellowship meal together, which they called communion, the cornonia. And the purpose of that special meal was to remember that Jesus had bled on the cross and that his body had been broken. That's why they drank wine together. It was a symbol of spilt blood. They broke bread together, a symbol of Jesus' torn body. The crucifixion of Jesus meant everything to these first Christians. It was the message they preached. We preach Christ crucified. It was the focus of their initiation ceremony baptism. And they ate bread and wine together as a way of remembering Jesus' crucifixion. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26, Paul reminds us, he says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Eating the sacred meal together was their way of proclaiming the Lord's death. Why would the early Christian community have had this intense focus on the death of Jesus if it wasn't of paramount importance? In the second part of the sermon, we'll be considering why is the death of Jesus so important? And here's the reason. It's because it's through the death of Jesus that we can all be reconciled to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read this. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How and when did God reconcile the world to himself? He did it through the death of Jesus on the cross. In this verse, Paul tells us that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. When did that happen? Not when Jesus walked the earth, healing the sick and teaching about the coming kingdom. The moment that God reconciled the world to himself was when Jesus died on the cross. That's the moment when he who had no sin became sin for us. That's when the transaction happened. That's the moment that Isaiah the prophet had foreseen centuries earlier when he prophesied, he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. One of the reasons for the establishment of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was so that people would begin to grasp the concept of substitutionary atonement. That something of value could die in my place. That something of worth could be killed so that my sins could be forgiven. And all of those sacrifices performed in the Old Testament period, they were all just a foreshadowing of this one great sacrifice. The sacrifice which was of infinite worth, the life of Jesus. Not on an altar, but on the cross. Isaiah's prophecy goes on. Chapter 53, verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life a guilt offering. Jesus' death on the cross was a guilt offering. That's why Isaiah goes on, verse 11. My righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Jesus is our scapegoat. That's another picture in the Old Testament pointing to Christ. Verse 12 of Isaiah 53. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions, transgressors. That's why the death of Jesus matters so much. Jesus didn't die because the Romans finally got the upper hand or because the Pharisees finally found someone who'd betray Jesus. Jesus died because it was God's plan for him to die. He died because it was God's will that he died. That was discussed in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the end, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. That's how that prayer time ended. Jesus' death wasn't a mistake or an accident. This is why Peter reminds everybody in the day of Pentecost in his sermon. Acts 2 verse 23. Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus' death on the cross is what changed God's relationship with humanity forever. Jesus' death on the cross is what's made our justification possible. When Jesus was crucified, all of the punishment that we deserved because of our sins and our moral failings, that punishment, our punishment, was meted out upon him. 
as a former Pharisee, the Apostle Paul understood the theology of sacrifice very well, which is why he wrote in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. That's what's happening on the cross. Jesus is an atoning sacrifice. It wasn't an ordinary death. His death was an offering to God, a guilt offering. His perfect life was given in exchange for us. I love how Jesus describes his mission, his purpose in Matthew chapter 20 verse 28. There he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He was paying our ransom. He's paid for our freedom. He's bought our forgiveness. He's purchased our salvation. Through his death on the cross, he made it possible for all of us to be reconciled to God. This is why Jesus' death on the cross is such a big deal. It's the turning point in God's relationship with humanity. It's the time and the place where it all happens, where it all comes together. This is where he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was on the cross that he who had no sin became sin. He was a sin offering, our scapegoat, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On Sunday, we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But today we remember that Jesus died for us. Let me end with a quotation from Romans 5. Romans 5 verse 7, Paul writes, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Friends, this is why the death of Jesus is of such paramount importance. It is the defining moment in God's relationship with humanity. It's what changed everything in our relationship with God. This is why the message that the church has to share with the world is Christ crucified. This is why baptism is a, a symbol of identifying oneself with 
with Christ's death. This is why we share communion together. It's a way of remembering the death of Jesus, his atoning sacrifice for us. On this Good Friday, may I ask you, have you been reconciled to God? Are you enjoying a relationship with your Creator, your Father in heaven? The death of Jesus has made that possible. Let's pray together. Lord, on this Good Friday morning, we want to thank you for your death on the cross for us. Thank you for your bravery and your courage and your determination to push through and to give your life for us. Thank you, Father God, for what you did. And today we want to remember your, your death, Lord Jesus. And thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And we embrace you, Lord. And we believe in you. And we thank you that you took the punishment that we all deserved. We love you. We worship you. We exalt you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.